back his crown, and the Black Prince had decided to take the adventure in hand, although he was in poor health and seemingly incapable of conducting a vigorous campaign. Edward's reasons for taking this rash step, which would plunge him deep into debt, were typical of this grandly aloof and determined prince. He would fight for a brother knight, or undertake the rescue of a degenerate king like Pedro, even if it cost the lives of thousands of common men and hopelessly entangled his affairs at home. For the benefit of his counsellors, all of whom seemed opposed to the step he had written, I do not think it either decent or proper that a bastard should possess a kingdom as an inheritance, nor drive out of his realm his own brother, heir to the throne by lawful marriage, and no king or king's son ought ever to suffer it as being of the greatest prejudice to royalty. He had other reasons, but this was enough to indicate how his mind worked. His plans for the organisation of an army to march down through the valley of Roncesvalles into Spain were already complete, and he, Edward, planned to leave for Dax in a matter of days. The arrival of little Richard of Bordeaux was, therefore, badly timed. Behind the stern façade with which he faced the world, the Black Prince was concerned with problems of equipment and provisions— and not with his frail son that his plump, middle-aged wife had added to his other and greater responsibilities. The event, nevertheless, was to create a considerable stir. A hum of excited talk started the instant the prince stalked into his wife's chamber, accompanied by his two royal visitors. It was true that James of Majorca was a mere cantlet of a king. He also had been shoved off his miniature throne and was seeking aid, and Pedro the Cruel was a fugitive from his Spanish dominions. Neither visitor was a wise man, and that adjective was not one to be applied loosely to the Black Prince. But there were gifts in the hands of all three, and was it not Twelfth Night? By a lady, here was the scene at Bethlehem repeated. Everyone at court, and later through the civilized world, knew this meant that the child would become a man of greatness and power, and that his deeds would resound throughout Christendom. The prince acted promptly, because he had not more than a few hours left before he started on his costly and injudicious Spanish adventure. He announced that two of his favourite campaign companions, Sir Guichard d'Angle and Sir Simon Burley, would share the tutoring of the little prince as soon as the promises to the ex-king of Castile had been fulfilled. They were both held in high esteem by all men, but the appointment was destined to provide the link in a chain of events that would involve the little prince in disastrous conflicts in the years to follow. 2. A ray of light can sometimes be turned on blank periods in history through events which follow after. Little is actually known of the early boyhood of Richard of Bordeaux, but certain conclusions may reasonably be drawn from subsequent developments. During the four years at Bordeaux, he was in his mother's care, and the bond of affection between them was maintained until the last sad days that the fair maid of Kent spent on earth. This needs no documentary proof, for all the men were off to the wars. The Black Prince himself, such of his brothers as were in France and all of his knights and attendants, including the gallant and gentle Sir John Shandos, who always rode beside him, and the two favoured companions already appointed as the boy's tutors.
From his brief contacts with his father later, and the things he learned about that unbending parent, Richard absorbed ideas which were prevalent enough in all branches of royalty, but were not likely to form a good character foundation for a future king. From the atmosphere of the court, he also developed other tastes, which, though admirable in themselves, were not likely to fit him for the task of handling the proud but unlettered baronage of England. Bordeaux was, of course, completely under Gallic influences, although France was impoverished and exhausted by the English wars and the depredations of the free companies. Paris was still a centre of the culture born in the magnificent century, the 13th, and which had been growing and spreading ever since. Richard was a perceptive child, and even in his most tender years he acquired a taste for the artistic aspects of life. When the bones of Richard II were disinterred and examined in 1871, it was found that he had been almost six...